Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Bobby Regan of Barstool Sports. As always, Bobby, appreciate you joining us, man. How you doing? Uh, well, I've been, I've been better. How about you? <laughs> well, we've been worse, so uh, it's it's going pretty well. And let's just start there, man. I know you're a Kentucky guy. I know you. I saw your frustrations that you had uh, on on Twitter and everything with the way that the Wildcats season ended. But uh, just uh, what what'd you make of that game? And also, uh, where where the where does Kentucky go forward from here? I mean, we're currently in the Kentucky Civil War. At least I am, because you apparently you can't criticize players for a loss anymore and that's kind of where I think that sums up Kentucky as like a whole from a fan base standpoint more than anything else right now of uh, like let's be honest the the loss to Kansas State fell squarely on and the Kansas State who I, I like a lot had a great rant on, on this on his podcast too the loss fell on the place right Antonio Reeves and Jacob Toppin combined for two for 22 from the field and Reeves who's been awesome for the majority of the year is a wide open shot I mean, if he if he, they play average, Kentucky probably wins that game by like eight. But the reason that they're a six seed and the reason that the season is viewed as a failure falls on Calipari from a, a roster construction standpoint. You need more depth at, depth at shooting, and yeah, some of it was a little unlucky with CJ Frederick and her, but there's still not enough shooting. Um, you, you need a two stretch forward. Just look at the teams that advance: it's great guards and and versatile play. And it's just like Kentucky fans are so set in their ways now of just blaming Calipari, blaming Calipari. There's no game plan. Uh, Kentucky blitzed ball screens for the first time in the year. So what do you mean there's no game plan? They clearly did something different. The defense was fine. You know, late in the second half, Noel just couldn't mess credit to him. Like they hit shots, him and Johnson hit shots. But the Kentucky fan base is firmly in a war where you're – Either, there's no middle line anymore. You can't say what I say and, and be taken as rational. You're either anti-Calipari or you're heels in on Calipari. So it's it's not great. <laughs> That's kind of where I am in terms of Kentucky. Also, um, Kentucky, you know, they're at the point of the season where they're looking towards next year. And then with the recruiting class that's coming in, how do you feel about what's going to happen moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I love the fact that Cal's back to his roots of Landing a, and I know people say the you know the the class coming in is always is down on a talent wise for you know generations past, but he's back to his roots of getting five of the top forty recruits, and that's what made Calipari Calipari is of having these players, and and Casey Wallace showed it against Kansas State. He needs a guard that can take over a game, and and for the first time since probably. Shea Gilgis Alexander, Kentucky had that in in um, in, in Case and Wallace when healthy. So you get that with DJ Wagner and some of the other guys. But it, it's going to come down to Calipari adapting, and you can't play too big. You can't have – and, again, credit to Vecini, he put it perfectly. Oscar can, is a guy that wins you 20 regular season games. You can't win a title with, with Oscar Sheebley. And, and that's what Calipari has to get away from is bigs who can't defend and are versatile and you have to play through them on offense. So I'm, I'm skeptical heading into next year just because it's been, you know, two years of failures truly. And, and you know, I can put an asterisk next to the COVID year because of how many, you know, weird things happen and, and things of that nature. But it it comes, it, it, he needs to make a run to that point where 
Kentucky fans the first, what, six years of his career where his final fours every year and everything like that. He, he's got to get back, and, and that's ridiculous. Well, he's got to get back to at least close to that. All right, well, enough about uh, teams that are not in the Sweet 16. Bobby, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, yo, let's talk about teams that are in the Sweet 16. And I know uh, you were texting me after Arkansas was able to upset Kansas. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll admit, man, it was you, – you know we've talked about Arkansas a lot. They've been a weird team, up-and-down team, yeah. dumb team at times, smart team at times, like just all over the place. But for them to go out and come down from behind 12 points against the defending champs in Kansas and find a way to win at the end of the game – uh, they got a long road in front of them in a tough matchup against UConn, but man, that was—I think that was not expected—and uh, it just shows that man, Arkansas going to the third straight seat, sixteen with Must. Whatever it was, they figured it out against Kansas. Yeah, right. That kind of shows like how like uh, how, how weird that they wanted to be. It, that win kind of saves Arkansas' season, right? Like if you lose in the round of thirty-two, you sit there and go, "Okay, like what are we going to be next year again now?" Uh, and, and you know, how do we get back to the second weekend? But it's now three three years in a row. Of, doing it and yeah like they they probably are in one of the two toughest regions what's left it's arguably the toughest but they figured it out and and me and you've talked about it i talked about it at length off air in, in terms of what i thought of of arkansas losing uh cherry on brazil and and the difficult of that was even more than nick smith and everything else but the, the growth of like a Kamani a, a a, a Johnson and, and the versatility Arkansas has, and then you get Nick Smith back, and you, you know, him and Black are obviously NBA talents, Jordan Walsh, you bring him off the bench, he's kind of like the perfect freshman guy in that situation. And then obviously Steven Davis and Ricky Council, but they did, it's not like they did everything right. They just did enough to hang in, hang in, hang in against Kansas, and then took the opportunity when Kansas missed free throws and the door was open and that's what it comes down to. And, and it doesn't matter how you win. Arkansas found a way to win. It was, it was a weird game. Obviously no bill stealth and, and Dewan Harris tweaks his ankle, but it, it doesn't matter in the NCAA tournament. Bama and Houston are the remaining one seeds, but as far as the teams in the sweet 16, that next tier, where, where would you put uh, certain teams that are left? What's that next tier behind Bama and Houston? Oh, UCLA's in that tier with them. Um, and I know that, that they're banged up, but they are in that tier with them. They have the, I love that UCLA team. I absolutely love that UCLA team. They have Final Four experience. They have two-year experience. They have Amari Daly, who's NBA talent. They can defend. They can shoot. I, I'm all in on the UCLA team. Texas would be kind of the next tier by themselves, I would say, in terms of I, you could talk me into them as tier one, so I'll put them kind of tier two by themselves or if you want to call them 1B by themselves. And then I think it's bunched up. I think, you know, you look at Gonzaga, UConn, um, I mean, Miami and Xavier, those offenses are just so elite. And then, I mean, Arkansas, it's not like they're far off, right? Like, it's it's not a huge jump from Tier 3 to Tier 4 if you want to do it that way. And if Arkansas can, they have NBA talent, which matters. Like, NBA, people kind of overvalue it, but, or undervalue it, but, NBA talent matters in March, and, and Arkansas has two really, really high NBA talent players. So it, it's weird. If, in terms of Arkansas specifically, I would, if they were in a different region, I'd probably be looking at them a lot more than I am now in terms of a, not a good chance, but like a realistic chance to get out and, and make a Final Four. Well, looking at their matchup against UConn, because I, I think that there's no doubt that if you're looking at all the, the four teams and the, and the 
regions that they're in. Uh, Arkansas is definitely part of the the gauntlet, uh, one of the toughest, if not yeah. the toughest one there, too. So just looking at UConn, though, uh, what do you make of that matchup? Because from what I've seen, from what I've read, from everything, UConn is a really good team, really talented team, and could be one of those games that Arkansas has to play one of their best games to to be able to get out of there. Yeah, it'll be interesting, right? Because UConn has the, the double-headed big guy in Sonogo and, and Klingon. They're both monsters. They're both legit size doing And there's even debate of who's better. And, and that kind of just shows the talent that UConn has to match Arkansas' talent, obviously. And that's just from a, a big man position. Um, but it comes down to if, if UConn gets a good Andre Jackson, there is a reason they're the number one team in the country. And that's hard to shake. You know, when you look back at it, and yeah, it's a long season, and yeah, there are four seeds, but there was a stretch in what, November into December, I want to say, it lasted of, of everyone going, no, UConn's the best team in the country. So it's going to be a tough matchup. I love the coaching matchup. I want cameras on Hurley and Muff the entire game. Like, I, I want, those are two lunatics, and I, and I mean that in the most sincere, loving way possible. I want cameras on those two the entire game. Um, they could fight each other. They could be shirtless at one point. I don't know, but I want cameras on it. But I, I, I do think it's a tough matchup for Arkansas because UConn can beat you inside. They do have good enough wing play to match Arkansas. But again, like Arkansas can kind of spread them out, and, and it comes down for Arkansas. And I mean, you guys know it better, better than me and better than most people. Arkansas needs to hit shots. They almost shot themselves out of the game against Kansas. There was that stretch where Kansas tagged, let Arkansas shoot, and I think Arkansas was what, like nine or nineteen percent from three at one point. Fear that against UConn, you start getting a little nervous as time is tickling down and it's a close game. What are some of the advantages you see that Arkansas could possibly exploit with this UConn team? So I think Anthony Black. If, if Anthony Black said one hundred percent. And you're getting the, the the NBA lottery pick version of, of Anthony Black. But that point guard matchup, he's he's better. And we say it all the time. It, it is to the point where it's cliche but true. Guards win in March, and you have an NBA guard, and he has size difference, and you do have that versatility it, and that Arkansas has. Where I swear everybody on Arkansas is the same height. Like they they they're all the same across the board. And that's great for switching and, and matchups and causing mismatches in terms of attacking off the, off the dribble, too. So Anthony Black, to me, is, is the biggest X factor for Arkansas in this specific game. Well, you brought up the coaches, too, as far as uh, what we've seen from Hurley and also Muss. Do you give the nod to either coach as far as who do you like in the matchup on that, or is it pretty dead even for them? So weirdly, I, w- I would say Muss has a slight advantage. If this was the second game, I would – without a doubt, I think must have the advantage because he's been in this situation way more than Hurley has in terms of, you know, you went on, on Thursday, you're playing on Saturday. You have one and a half days of prep in a tournament setting. You're winning in advance. Hurley hasn't really done this, right? Like he's, you know, at Rhode Island, he, he didn't make it. This is the furthest he's made it. He, he's finally out of the first weekend. And, you know, I want to put stock in that, but then also recently we've seen Tony Bennett win. We've seen uh, Drew win. So it's you know, we saw Hubert Davis obviously get to a final last year. But if I, I lean very slightly Musk because it's game one. If this was game two of the weekend, I would probably lean even harder into Musk. Looking at the other game in West Bracket, Gonzaga, UCLA, 
You express how you feel about UCLA. Uh, Gonzaga seems to be pl- flying under the radar a bit this yeah. year. What are some of the other teams you think may be a bit under the radar? So, honestly, I think Gonzaga's flying under the radar. Um, I think Miami and Xavier are a little bit just because of their defenses being subpar, but they can score with anyone. And if you get hot, I mean, we saw what Xavier did to Pitt. They just jumped on them early. I know it's Pitt, but it's still a second-round tournament game. If, if they're shooting the ball like that and, and Kunkel's hitting four threes in the first half or five threes in the first half, I don't care how good your defense is. You better start scoring with them. Um, it's it's a weird it's weird looking at it this year where I think outside of I want to say outside of UCLA, UConn, and Houston, all the top fifteen defense or is it all the all, all the offenses are out? So Xavier and Miami have advantage there, but from a defensive standpoint, you know it's I, I think I really think Gonzaga's fine under the radar. I think Xavier might be there too. And also uh, looking at some teams, too, that you know, I hate to even call them a surprise because they were a four seed. But Tennessee, man, I, I thought that Tennessee would uh, struggle against Louisiana, which they did a little bit. But then when they played Duke, I was like, oh, yeah, Duke's, Duke will take care of them. They can't can't play offense or get a defense, miss one of their best players. But yet here they are in the Sweet 16, and first time in a long time that Rick Barnes has been able to do it, and they're going up against Florida Atlantic. Do you think that uh, Tennessee can advance into the Elite Eight uh, with this squad and with this team? and? Or what do you think FAU is just a team that maybe not enough people are talking about that has been playing really well? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. Tennessee's definitely taking advantage of the draw, right? Like they did a Louisiana team that they did struggle with, but they matched up well with. Then they played a Duke team. And while everyone loved Duke, they were kind of the, as weird as it is to say, the darlings of people picking them. Their offense is, is atrocious. It is atrocious. And that helps Tennessee, whose offense is also atrocious. Florida Atlantic has awesome guard play. They have a seven-footer. They can spread you out, and they're decent defense. So, you know, I think it's going to be way close to a pick than, than most people are probably giving credit for. But, you know, Florida Atlantic is a mid-major nine seed for a bit of a reason. And Tennessee was and is a 10-pound top 10 team, like, all year for a reason. So they, they do have the right draw. It's just what happens now when you have to adjust and and all this week it's gonna be oh can Rick Barnes finally do can Rick Barnes finally take Tennessee there. Tennessee never made a final four. I think they made one elite eight in their entire program history. That I mean, yes, it's it's you have to go team by team and and, and kind of cancel it out, but you're you're still talking about college kids and, and and human beings hearing that chatter, likely from their own fan base too, for four days. And meanwhile, Florida Atlantic can just play freely. They've already won. They, they've made a Sweet 16 when people probably didn't think they should be here. Yeah, they beat a 16 team, but they're here. I, I think that's way close. I, I'm not going to be shocked in the fact that Florida Atlantic wins that game. Next up for 15 seed, Princeton is Creighton. What do you think of the run they've been on, and what do you think of their chances of coming away with another win versus Creighton? Yeah, it's crazy how 15 seeds in the Sweet 16 is like the fourth biggest story of the tournament, I feel like. Um, it pains me to say it because I was down on Creighton. I looked right. And Creighton could easily make a Final Four, and now I won't be surprised. Creighton should blow Princeton out, out, out the door. I mean, Princeton, it's a great story. They had great matchups. They, they, they beat the doors off Missouri. But Creighton, with that their guard play and that offense, 
Hawk Brenner, who's the Big East Defensive Player of the Year. It just feels like at some point Talon's going to win out. I think that happens here. I, I, I honestly think Creighton wins this game by like 15. Yeah, I would like to see uh, Princeton continue on with the run too, but man, it's just yeah, it's it's hard to hard to to bank on them at this point in time. But uh, as far as uh, just overall the the games in the first two rounds and and everything, uh, what would you say has been maybe the biggest surprise? I know 16 seed beating Purdue is always a surprise, and in, in, in that case, but uh, has there been a game moment team? What's just been the things that have been most surprising to you? I think it's obviously fairly Dickinson because it's the second time it ever happened, and you know, and, and there shouldn't even be in the tournament that whole story. Um, so if we take that out, I would say I don't know if it's a surprise, but it just feels like there's a true shift in conference basketball, right? Like the ACC has what one team in the Sweet Sixteen in Miami, Big Ten has one team in the in the Sweet Sixteen and in Michigan State, so in the Big Ten, you know, it feels like it's truly the top three of the SEC, the Big East, and the Big 12. And I think that's the biggest story outside of Fairleigh Dickinson, obviously, is is there a power shift in college basketball? The Big Ten, and I know they haven't won a title in, in 23 years, but they were continually sending teams to the Final Four and title games. It's not like they were always losing in the round 32, but this year kind of feels like a power shift of a clear top three and, and the tournament's playing out that way. Before you get out of here, Bobby, I'm flying out to Vegas tonight, uh, obviously to, to check out the Sweet 16 and hopefully uh, the Elite Eight as well, but uh, I've never been to Vegas before, man, so I need some pointers. What, what's some I have to do? The one thing I have to do while I'm out in Vegas that I can actually not do and not get in trouble for? Oh, God. oh wow. that, that eliminates a lot. Um, that's a good question, man. I haven't been to Vegas in like five years. I think you really just got to – and I used to go for this week. I used to go for the Sweet 16 Elite Eight back in the day. When Arkansas – the day Arkansas doesn't play, just find a sports book, get there early, get a seat, because there's nothing like watching a game in Vegas. With, and, and there have been crazy beats both ways. And the people watching, I'll never forget, I was there when, when Arizona beat Duke in the Sweet 16 back in uh, the Kyrie year. And they were not in the right state of mind, Arizona fans, the next morning watching a replay of SportsCenter thinking the game was live. And that memory will stick in my mind forever because the joy of watching your team win is, is better than anything else this time of year. I know there'll be a lot of Razorback fans that are there, and they're hoping that their team I'm will sure win. I'm sure will be. So, yeah. A lot of, a lot of calling the hogs. I'm oh, sure yeah. oh, yeah. And that'll be only like the 80th weirdest thing that probably people will hear while they're I'm out sure. there. That's for sure. So, Bobby, we appreciate it, man. Enjoy the rest of March Madness, all right? All right. Have a good one, guys.